What is up, Venue Church? It's Pastor Peter Haas from Substance Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And man, I miss you guys. You guys have not only survived the pandemic, you have thrived, you have grown. Your pastors, Corey and Aaron, have been giving me all the updates and all the crazy stuff you've been doing behind the scenes. Man, and, and so I've, I've been pumped that your pastors are able to get a little time out of the pulpit this summer after all that. And so actually today, you guys at Venue are gonna be tapping into the Substance video feed. Come on, isn't technology cool? I love this. In fact, hundreds of people are gonna be praying for you you guys at Venue from Substance. And so I'll tell you what, would you open up your hearts today as we dive into God's Word together? What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You made it to church. Come on. You did it. We are so glad you're here with us. And if we haven't met, I'm Pastor Peter. And of course, I just want to welcome all the churches joining us all over the place. We love you guys in downtown Monterey, Mexico, all the churches. We love you guys. And of course, today is extra fun because I'm tag teaming with my leading lady, Carolyn Haas. Don't you love this woman of God? I love her. I love her. Okay, so get this. This Wednesday, we're celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. Come on. And I, which, I know, some of you are thinking, you must have been 12, but no, we were 20. We, we, we waited that. until 13. <laughs> no, uh, no, we, we seriously, if you're, if you're out there and you're wondering if there is hope for your marriage to reach 25, come on. All you got to do is look at this picture of Carolyn and I from 1996. <laughs> And uh, if God can help that couple, let me just tell you, he can help you. You, there's hope for you. I look, look at me. I look like a mixture between uh, Legolas from uh, Lord of the Rings and Jar Jar Banks. I'm just saying. And, and Carolyn had the ever popular acorn haircut. You know what I'm saying? She was birthed in an oak tree. Uh, no, so, so listen, if the attraction level of your marriage is low, don't worry, okay? We all have off years. I'm just telling you. Uh, no, the same thing is true for weight. If I could just be honest with you guys, okay, for weight. Uh, this is me when I gained 40 pounds. And for the some, only one laughing. You can and, laugh. And for it's some okay. reason, I thought the goatee would help. Let's just say when Carolyn said for better or for worse, this was the latter. I'm just saying. There's, there's those years, you know what I'm saying? This is my turn to be the downer. This is me in Seattle, about 40 pounds heavier. And I'm just going to say, this is not baby weight. This is, I love Culver's weight. And, and she was probably the only adult on earth that would get the corn dog at Culver's. I'm just saying, you know. And then, and then even after we lost all the weight, okay, I somehow, even after we, we, we figured out that element, uh, we somehow, I ended up with this hairstyle, okay. And... Uh, <laughs> Why didn't any of you guys stop me? I'm just saying, my jacket was baby poop green. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me? I mean, my hair, I look like one of those troll dolls. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I thought you guys were my friends. I'm just, I'm a little offended. One time I wore, one time I wore a, a tan-colored T-shirt underneath my blazer, and it matched my skin tone. And so on camera, it looked like I was shirtless with a blazer. <laughs> None of you told me. What? It's like, I had to find that out after the fact on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? When screenshots were going around with Pastor Peter. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, what in the world? And here's, okay, uh, listen, uh, how many of you are glad that those low moments are not permanent? Come on, somebody. In your marriage, those low moments are not permanent. Uh, the moral of the story is this, do not quit in the dip. 
Don't quit in the dip. Your greatest days are yet to come. Your current snapshot is not permanent. And I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. We're kind of hot right now. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I'm biased, but as your pastor, I got to just tell the truth. Uh, you know, but I, I say this because, listen, wherever your marriage is at, wherever your relationships are at, wherever your life is at today, your current snapshot is not permanent. God has a plan yeah. to take you to a new level. And that's what we're actually going to be talking about. I really believe that if you would just run to God with your issues and let him just take care of you, that, that God will continually renew your strength. And if you don't believe me, listen to Carolyn as she listens, as she reads. Isaiah 43 today. We're, we're going we're gonna to get God's truth deep into our hearts. And so, okay. Carolyn, why don't you this read it out? This is a word for you. So I just want you to hear God speaking this to you. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3 says this. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers... They will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Mm. Notice that it says, I've summoned you by name. God knows your name today. That's right. That's you right. were chosen. He picked you. But what does that actually mean practically? Well, Talk to okay. us about that. So all throughout the Bible, you're going you're gonna to find this word chosen, that you were chosen. And I think it's really, it's fascinating to do a Bible study on the word chosen every single time the Bible mentions it. Why God chose us. Okay, and that's a great question because once you understand why God chose us, it, it'll kind of change how you live a little bit. If you're out there today and you don't feel valuable, you're wrong, okay? And, and maybe you're like, yeah, but Pastor Peter, you don't know about my past. You don't know about my, dis my divorce, my dysfunctions. No, listen, you were chosen, okay? And, and yeah, but Pastor Peter, you don't understand. I'm not the right gender. I don't have the right skin tone. I didn't graduate from high school. I wasn't born on the right side of the tracks. No, you were chosen, and God does not make mistakes. Are you hearing me? If he chose you, that means you are the perfect person for the job. And so stop making excuses. Come right back to Isaiah, and he said this. He said, you're chosen. God called you by name. Don't fear. Yeah. As a result of that, you're going to do things that will defy the odds. Yeah, but Pastor Peter, if I was chosen, then why is my life difficult? God never promised that your life wouldn't be difficult. Where did you get that? He promised that you'd have life to the fullest, but that doesn't mean uh, difficulty free. Actually, he pro if you want to know what he promises you, he promises you you're going to walk through fire. <laughs> That doesn't sound encouraging. No, what the encouraging part is not walking through fire. It's that you're not even going to smell like smoke. Yeah. It's not going to affect you, okay? It, you're, you're not going to be burned. The presence of adversity does not negate the fact that God's favor is on you, that he chose you. And so th this theme is, I think, really going to truly come to life. Um, Carolyn, why don't you tell everybody that, about the Old Testament character of Yeshai, and then it, it's going to set up where we're actually going to go as we study this word chosen. And so, okay, so take it. So Yeshai was an Old Testament character, and, and he was a member of the high Jewish court. So he was excited to be a part of this. He was actually wealthy. He was influential in the spiritual life of Israel. And so he kind of had it all going together. He was wealthy. He was good looking. He had seven sons. Sons, but 
there was one part of his family history, an event that happened in his past that was stigmatizing him. It just left him feeling like stuck. It was embarrassing. So according to Jewish law at that time, if someone, if you married, if a Jew married someone from a pagan nation, they literally were unfit to volunteer in Jewish ceremonies for up to 10 generations. So for Yeshai, this was a big deal because he had a family member. It was actually his grandfather married a, a widow from a pagan nation. And so that kind of caused this like stigma for, for Yeshai. And so he's kind of frustrated. And so he's like, what am I supposed to do? I, I have this shameful thing in my, my family history that I feel like I have no control over. So what can I control? And so he literally was like, well, you know what? I'm going to stop having kids after seven. Because in his mind, seven is the number of blessing. He'd heard that. And so he's like, I, what am I going to do? I'm going to stop having kids because that's what I can control. If I want to be blessed, that's what I'm going to do. And so he kind of got into that weird line of thinking. And so therefore that caused him to literally like disconnect from his wife. He stopped making love to her. He, they stopped being intimate altogether. And his poor wife, Nitsovich, she's kind of like feeling rejected and confused. And she's like, my husband is acting absolutely ridiculous. And so she seduces him and gets pregnant. And, uh, and Yeshai is so angry that he never forgives her. In fact, even after she has a son, literally he doesn't allow her and the little boy to even have dinner with the family at the table. I mean, talk about crazy. And eventually as the little boy got a little bit older, he rejected his son, sent him to the fields to be a shepherd boy, which in Jewish culture was considered outcast. Like, you're the lowest of the low if you're a shepherd. And so, like... It's, and if some of you are looking at me and you're like, Caroline, I, I don't remember that exact Bible story in Sunday school. The reason why is because what I'm sharing with you is coming from the Torah commentary. And the Torah is the, is the Jewish oral tradition that accompanies the written tradition that we have in the, in the Old Testament. And so out of this story... Uh, you know, the little boy that I'm talking about, it's David. It's King David. David who slew Goliath. David who wrote most of the Psalms. And the illicit marriage that I'm talking about is Boaz and Ruth. You can read about it in the book of Ruth in the Bible. And so, and Yishai, that's just a fancy Hebrew pronunciation of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. And you can read all about it in the book of 1 Samuel. And, and so what makes this story so interesting, I would say so inspiring, is that we see that David was the ultimate underdog. Yeah. In fact, over and over and over as you read scripture, you'll actually see, like, there was so many people that tried to undermine David. And yet, we see David was filled with the favor of God. And he always ended up on top. But he didn't have it easy. In fact, you read Bible story after Bible story, and he went through so many trials and so many hardships and so many things that were not fair. In fact, one of those is that you'll see in 1 Samuel chapter 16. There was a prophet named Samuel. And Samuel uh, heard from God, and, and Samuel was kind of like the kingmaker. And so God you know, spoke to Samuel and said, the next king of Israel is going to come from the family of Jesse. And so Samuel went to Jesse and said, hey, the next, the next king of Israel is going to come from your family. So gather all your sons together, and God is going to look at one of your sons, and he's going to choose him to be the next king of Israel. Well, that's pretty exciting. So Jesse gathers, and get this, Jesse gathers seven of his sons and does not bring David, his eighth son, to the king ceremony. Like literally doesn't even think to bring David. Why? Because Jesse didn't even think that David mattered. I mean, talk about winning the world's worst dad award. You know, like when your own dad thinks there's no way God would choose that son 
I mean, that's insane. That's crazy. And yet, who did God choose? God chose the underdog. God used David. Now, okay, so after Carolyn shared that, I, this is what I want to do. Is I, I just think there's a lot of you out there where it's easy to get caught in the excuses of, of victimization. And I think at, at some point in your life, you're going to be tempted to, to choose victimization. It's what the world does in order to get pity. It's what they try to do in order to get influence for their issue. But the problem with that is you cannot play the role of the victim and be a victor at the same time. God always gives us a choice. At some point, we're going to have to choose either to be a victim or to be a victor. And I know that's, that, 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 that sounds like a, a, a kind of an interesting way of put it, but I, I, we're telling you this story because I just, even this morning as I was praying over the services today, I just kept getting the sense that there, there's several of you out there that you're, you're dwelling on the wrong narrative. You're embracing the wrong narrative for your life in 2020. You're embracing a victim narrative when God calls you a victor. You've been chosen by the God who can speak and cause universes to exist. I mean, and maybe you've got big dreams in your heart and yet you're discouraged because you think, I don't matter, I'm not qualified enough, I'm not smart enough, or I'm too far behind in order to ever, you know, do anything of significance. Let me tell you something, you're wrong. If you have those thoughts, those are wrong thoughts. You're not thinking like God thinks. And I, I, listen, if you have permission to believe that God wants to use you and that he's going to give yes. you the favor to accomplish things no matter how things look, okay? And, and listen, it, you're not too old. You're not too young. It's not about your skin color. It's not about your wealth. It's not about being born in the right place. It's not about knowing the right people. Some of you, it, listen, even if all the setup is completely wrong like David, Okay, uh, the Bible says his power is made perfect in your weakness. It's not about your qualifications. It's about your willingness. And so listen, if, you, if, you, if there's a problem that you have a desire to solve, you have permission to believe that God wants to use you. God chose you. And, but what does that mean, God chose you? Let me give you three, three things that that automatically entitles you to. And some of these are going to be a little counterintuitive, okay? Let me give you three things, three things, three quick things that God has chosen you for. God has chosen you to suffer. God has chosen you to serve. And God has chosen you to succeed, okay? Whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. Did you just say God chose me to suffer as if it's a good thing? Heck yeah. Okay, listen to this. Okay, number one, you were chosen to suffer. No takers, write this down. Philippians 129, Philippians 129, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Okay, whoa, 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 for it has been granted to you. Okay, this is like you were given a gift. <laughs> it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. God blessed us with the opportunity to suffer. Okay, maybe not all to the same degree, but for some. I, I, I'm saying this because I, I think there's a lot of Christians out there, they don't have a theology of suffering. They think that life should always be blissful, and then when it doesn't look that way, they get confused. Yes, God wants you to live life to the fullest, but suffering and living life to the fullest are not incompatible. In fact, ironically, what if living life to the fullest could only come through suffering? Oh, some of you, it just went... 
and it should. Because if you don't understand that about scripture, you're always going to live a life of confusion. Listen, I, just even this last week, I, many of you guys know that our church mentors pastors all over the place. And of course, you know, the 2020 has been a rough year for everyone. But I, obviously, economically, it's, it's completely buried about one-third of churches. And uh, I was talking with a pastor from California where his church was pretty much bullied into bankruptcy by the, by the city. And of course, it didn't help that there was a strip club next door that's considered essential and is packed with people at all times. And yet the city was like, not you not churches, and, uh, and, and I think we all know that's not science, okay? We all know that, right? Uh, but I, I, according to the Bible, listen, I, and I just encouraged him. I, I really felt like, hey, listen, right now we are living in a time that is probably a lot more similar to uh, biblical times than maybe any other time of my life. And I, in some ways it's illuminated scripture to me in such a delightful way. And there's, a, there's an upside to this. And I, I, I encouraged him with this. Romans 5.3, we also rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Some of you, that is your word. That is a Bible verse you need to memorize because that just doesn't fit into your theology. We rejoice. What does rejoice mean? Rejoice means to return to joy wow. in when you rejoice in something, that means you're, you're returning to a place of joy in the midst of wow. suffering. We, we rejoice, Paul says, in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character produces hope. There's a process. God is leading us to a process where he even turns the difficult things in our lives around for the good of those who love him, Romans 8, 28. Come on, somebody. Process of hope is birth and suffering. Yeah. That means some of you are on the hope train that's right now. Right. <laughs> and that's why you should be happy. I, I think we need to reframe the way we're thinking about everything. God never wastes our pain yeah. because you're chosen. Yeah. I love this. It, it, but Carolyn, why, why else did God choose us? Number one was we're chosen to suffer, but number two, we're chosen for what? We're chosen to serve. And I love this. First uh, Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people. There's that word again. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I just, I love that. A people, that you may, so we belong to God, we're chosen, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful Come light. On. Why were we chosen? To declare his praise. But what does that look like? A few verses later in verse 12, the apostle Peter says this, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. First mm. Peter 2:12. We were chosen to serve we were chosen to serve, to make a difference, not to make a point, to make a difference with our lives, with our good deeds, to meet the needs of others. I remember when we first reopened church this summer uh, in the midst of COVID, a few people were freaking out like there's no way you can be responsible and have gatherings without getting people sick. And the good news is the data is all coming in now that churches are safe and sanitary. In fact, I was just on a call with the commissioner a few weeks ago here in Minnesota, the commissioner of public safety, and he said they are seeing no COVID. 
COVID spread in churches. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Um, I know. Uh, yeah. But the Gallup organization just came out with a survey this week. They did a nationwide survey in the United States on mental health. And they just published it this week. And get this. There's only one graphic in all of the United States that is doing better right now in 2020 than they were last year in 2019. Of all the demographics. So they hit everyone. Everything. Every socioeconomic level, every ethnicity, every gender, every, every... Every state, everything. Only one demographic is doing better. Are you ready for this? It was weekly church attendees. Come on. Weekly church. Come on. Weekly church attendees. They're doing better than anyone. In fact... People who attend church weekly rated themselves 16% higher in mental health than any other demographic in the United States, and more than people who don't attend church, and more than people who even attend church every other week. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I just it, love that. It was pretty dramatic between those who attend every week versus every other week. Uh, I mean, 16 percentage points lower. It was pretty dramatic. And, and even those who only attend sporadically 16% lower were still higher than the majority of other people, okay? So, I, and I, I know that, like, uh, in, in a year like this, we've had a lot of our Westsiders uh, ask me the question, hey, Pastor Peter, I want to come to church, but it's actually not a matter of COVID because you guys have proven that you've been able to do safety teams and all that kind of stuff. It's really more of an issue of driving for me. It's just a, a really long drive. And, and listen, hey, if that's you and you're a Westsider and you've been waiting for our Westside campus, I, I have kind of an exciting announcement today, and it's this. Starting January 17th, we are going to be officially reopening our West Side campus. We're coming for you. We're coming back. We're rebooting it. You know, I, I just, I, obviously, it, it killed me to have to shut it down simply because we don't own the facility. And, and uh, uh, even though we could, we could prove safe uh, and responsible, we just, you know, if you don't control the facility, you don't control it, right? And I, I just... You know, I say that because I want you guys to get ready because we were chosen to serve. We are the lucky ones chosen to serve. Why? Because there's more blessing in giving than there is in receiving. Acts 30 or Acts, what is it, 2035. Jesus said it, Acts 2035. There's more blessing in giving than there is in receiving. We were chosen to serve. He who refreshes others will himself get refreshed. Yeah. That's why I love that Gallup stat is because it really, it confirms what the Bible has said all along. Yeah. So many people, they've, they've, they've retracted from a lifestyle of generosity. I, I believe that a lack of generosity will kill us far more than any virus could ever. I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I believe that's, that's why there is such a strong correlation with mental health and, and getting involved. We're chosen to serve. And so I, I want to encourage you, church, do what you got to do to prep. I really believe the new year, 2021, is going to be a, a complete reset. But one thing is for sure, you need ministry more than we need you in ministry. And so whatever you got to do, and I, I know that some of you, you're, you're trying to play it extra safe, and that's okay. But I, I, I really do believe that whatever you do, you cannot forsake the ministry that God has called you to do because you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which yes. God prepared in advance for you Come to on. do, That's Ephesians right. 2.10. And, and so you're, you're always going to feel like something is missing until you're out there helping people. That's why we have Love the City Outreach. I mean, you guys, it's so beautiful at our downtown campus, or Man of Market here at our Northtown campus. And you guys have been rising to the occasion. Come on. It, it, I mean, we, seriously, $100,000 worth of presents to foster care last, last week. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. You guys are 
ridiculously awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but there are people out there that need to be invited back into that. They've been kind of, through, through the fear-mongering in our culture, they've been kind of scared into a, into a cave of, of, of poor mental health. And I, I, we have to invite people back out of that so that people understand you were chosen yeah, to serve. But Carolyn, last but not least, we were chosen to what? We were chosen to succeed. We were chosen Amen. to win. And I love this. Listen to this. Revelation 17, 14 says, they will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them. The because world. The world is going to make war. I love that. And the lamb will overcome the world because he is the Lord of lords and he is the king of kings. And with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers that's you and i like we get to rule and reign with him we get to win with him and really i, I think what's so great about that bible promise is the fact that it's letting you know the end yeah. so you don't have to worry have you ever watched one of those movies where you know it has a happy ending you know what i'm saying maybe it's like or you just know that the bad guy or the the good guy is going to kick the bad guy's butt you know what i'm saying you don't watch a steven seagal movie because you know it's going to end you know with the bad guy winning oh well, there's probably a couple. But I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, there's sometimes where you just want to, like, uh, a lot of times Carolyn and I, when we're stressed, we'll just get one of those really, really predictable action movies. Come on, anybody else like that? I know some of you are like, well, that's not very artistic. But sometimes you just want to see the good guy win. You know what I mean? And, 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 and really, I, you can watch the movie a little different because you're just like, what's the creative way the bad guy will get his butt kicked. You know what I'm saying? You're just look. you're waiting for what's the novel, innovative, clever way that the good guy is going to win. You see, that's how we get to live our lives. And that changes things, doesn't it? It changes things. And I, I, I want to, well, I, basically I want to invite you into that perspective. Because I think a lot of us, if you're, if you're stuck, if you're listening to your echo chamber of news, you know, whatever that is, okay, where it's just literally paying people to get you cynical, you know what I'm saying? If you're stuck in that echo chamber, all of a sudden, the voice of God becomes quiet and the voice of the world becomes loud. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're all worried, like, like the Apostle Peter said, though they accuse you of doing evil. You, you, all of a sudden, you just get those voices in your head. You can't obey God because you don't have the perspective of a chosen one. On. You don't have the perspective that God wants you to have. And I, I, I want to I invite you out of the world, the worldly thought process. And I want you to invite you into God's thoughts. And some of you, that means you're going to have to watch your inputs more than ever before. Even in the Christmas season, you're going to have to you're going to have to put down social media, you're going to have to put down your news, and you're going to have to focus on God's thoughts. And and that's why we're giving you these scriptures because these are the types of scriptures that the apostles would teach their churches in the midst of suffering, in the midst of difficulty. And I want to make sure that you guys are washed with the word. That's why we do what we do. And kind of just to 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 land the plane here, uh, years ago, one of my favorite stories, I got to hear a pastor by the name of Ray Johnson, a uh, great church in California. He, he was telling the story about, uh, about his friend's Little League baseball experience. And I, I played Little League baseball. I played for the, the Twins in Wisconsin, of all places. It was really <laughs> awkward. Um, no, I, I literally was on the Twins. It was the Marshfield Twins. And uh, 
If we were the worst team, I mean, we had the worst record ever. I mean, we were like 0-22. And, uh, you know, so I, but let me just tell this story from Ray Johnson uh, about his friend. I'm going to tell it like it's the first person. I was eight years old, and everyone on the team was older, and so I was the smallest kid on the team. The uniform hung off of me like it was a, like, a, like, like I was a coat hanger. And, of course, it got worse. I lived in Iowa, and every relative I had for hundreds of miles came around to every single Little League game, <laughs> 60 of them. And it got worse. The game started, and I played right field. And we all know right fielders are the worst, right? You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, you're in right field because you're lame. And it got worse. I, I was up three times that day to bat, and I struck out every single time in front of my relatives. It got worse. It was the last inning of the game, and the bases were loaded, and there were two outs. We were down by one run, and I was up to bat. And I was trembling, and I stepped into the batter's box, and I realized no one is sitting down anymore. <laughs> People are screaming, and I'd, I'd never been under that kind of pressure before. I didn't stand a chance. I mean, the pitcher was six foot eight and had a beard. <laughs> At least it felt like that. You know what I'm saying? He was like an eight-year-old man-child. And, and, of course, the, the pitcher wound up and shoo, strike one. Shoo. Strike two. And of course, I, I stepped out of the box and I realized that half of the people that were standing screaming, they actually wanted me to strike out. And then the other half were wanting me to produce a miracle. And so this time I, I started swinging even while, even during his windup and the ball came by and sh strike three, you're out, game over. And then the young batter heard something that he had never forgotten his entire life, and it was this. All 200 people gave an audible groan of disappointment. I had failed all 60 of my relatives. I had struck out, and, and that walk to the dugout became the longest walk of my entire life. I think every kid on my team said, thanks a lot, idiot. Jerk, you geek, you nerd. I mean, my life was over. I just sat down in the dugout, pulled the hat over my eyes, and pulled my jacket over all of that, and I just sobbed, and I sobbed, and I sobbed. And, of course, it was the last, day of, uh, last game of the day, and cars were starting to leave, and I just sat there with my jacket over my face until it got really quiet, about 6 p.m. at night. And pretty soon everyone was gone, and I'm still sobbing my eyes out when I heard this noise come from the pitcher's mound. And that voice just said, get up, son. The game isn't over. And again I heard it, son, come on out. The game isn't over. And I picked up my jacket. I, I dried off my eyes. I was still a bit fuzzy from the tears. But as I looked out over the field, there were all my relatives on the field, all of them. My dad was on the pitcher's mound with a mitt and a ball. And he kept saying, come on, son, get out of here. The game isn't over. Grab the bat again. So I, I sheepishly picked up the bat. My dad lobbed me the ball, and I swung hard and missed. That's okay, son. Here's another. I swung again, and I missed again. And about 15 pitches later, <laughs> I swung 
and smack, whack. I hit the line drive into left field, and so I'm standing there, and my dad shouts, what are you doing? Start running. You see, I'd never been to first base before, and so the, the left fielder threw it to the center fielder, and I'm like, why is he throwing it that direction? So I ran to second base, and the center fielder threw it to the right field where my Uncle Harold was playing, who's virtually blind, and, and, and so I'm rounding third base, and I'm about to come up to home plate and slide into home plate, and that's where I saw him. I, that's it's about three feet away was my dad, and he had just tears streaming down his face with arms open wide, and he said, son, you're safe. You're safe at home. And as the sun set that day with 60 of my relatives, they all literally came to home plate, carried me off the field cheering, and they were celebrating me, and I learned that day. A tight family can turn any circumstance around. After all, that's where safety comes from, being at home. And I, in church, I'm sharing this with you because I, I believe the same can be true about a tight church. I believe that a church can, can turn any circumstance around. And that's what it means to be chosen by God, to be a part of a team. It's not even chosen because of our, our ability. It's because of the favor that God has simply set on your life. It's because you are adopted to be a part of something that God ordained from the very beginning to win. God ordained us to succeed, to chose us to win. And listen, being chosen doesn't mean you'll win every game and win every time at bat, but it does mean that at the end of all things, you are designed to win. And listen, if you're out there and you don't have a church family to be a part of, you don't have a family that can adopt you like this, that can take even your losses and turn them into wins, then listen, I want to I invite you to be a part of this family. That's why we're out there giving away millions of pounds of groceries. It's because we just want to show people love. We want to say, hey, listen, if you need family, we want to be your adopted family. We're not scared in this season. Because we know our God and we know what he's called us to.